If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to John chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be. In fact, that's where we're going to be for quite a while, probably. If you, if you have one of these handy little things in your Bible, you can probably put it in John and count on being there for the next 8 to 16 months, something like that. We'll, we'll figure out how, as we go along. It won't take that long, I hope. Um, I'm excited to work with you through this gospel uh, this great gospel of Jesus Christ, as, as, we, as we walk through this together as a people, you see as a singular branch uh, of the great vine that is the church of Jesus Christ. We desire to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered worship, uh, gospel-centered community, and gospel-centered mission as we seek to join Him in the renewal of of all things, even the all things that we just sang about him creating. We are, we are joining him in this work. That's what we were planted for. That's, that's why this church exists. Um, that's the reason that we are here today. I promise you that Rivercrest does not exist because a group of us needed a life-consuming project. Uh, that, was, that was not what we sat around thinking about two years ago, going, hey, you know what would be really great if we could spend every waking moment upfitting strange buildings into worship spaces. That really wasn't what we had in mind. We, we are here strictly because we want to be obedient to what we believe God has called us to, obedient to what we were sent by a whole host of churches into this community to do. And so we aren't here because we didn't have anything else to do on a Sunday. We're here because we believe God put us here. And so we're glad you're here with us. And since we claim inwardly, and we express outwardly a, a desire to be gospel-centered. We wanted to begin our first series that, that outside of the gym, as we've moved into this new place, we've completed that, that introductory series on the parables. As we've begun here, we, we wanted to start in a gospel. We wanted to be very simple in that. If you've noticed the patterns and rhythms of our worship, we're really not that creative. Uh, we use a song we use a hymn and we use a psalm every week because we believe that God was being specific when he told us to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We, 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 I don't have a creative bone in my body, to be honest with you. That, that's, that's not a gifting of mine. And so Gregory does a phenomenal job each week making a psalm work that most of us have never sung before. And so we're trying to bring the word back into Scripture. Uh, John's gospel is a little different than the other ones. He's not necessarily writing a straight narrative for us. He's not just writing a story of Jesus, but he writes with a purpose. Like if you, if you read the gospel of, of Luke, you'll see that he wanted specifically, he said specifically he wants to give an orderly account of everything that's coming. He wants to give you the historical reality, just write a narrative of the, of the history of the earthly ministry of Jesus. But John, what he says, while still giving us a true and accurate picture of the ministry of Jesus, is that he, he tells us that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's writing with a purpose. John has your salvation in mind. He's not just writing because he didn't have anything else to do. He's not just writing because he needed a hobby. He's writing because he has a burden for the lost of his culture. And that's one of the reasons you might often hear John referred to as the fourth evangelist. You will hear that throughout this series. We will refer to him that over and over and over again. He's the fourth evangelist because this letter is evangelistic. It is meant to achieve a purpose. I want you to know that as we launch into this thing. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what he's going to say to us as we go through this. He wants us to see Jesus. He wants to introduce us to Jesus, not just as the son of Mary and Joseph, 
uh, not just as a carpenter from Nazareth, not even as an innocent victim, but strictly as our Lord and our Savior, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he wants us to see and as the true and living Word of God. So what I would ask you to do now is stand with me and let's hear the Word of our Lord. Let's be introduced together to this Jesus. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would ask you to come and be at work amongst us. You don't need our permission to come here. You have been present way before we got here. If we take your word seriously, we know that you have been with us every single place that we have gone because you live and abide in our hearts by your spirit. But Lord, we want you to make yourself known to us today through your word. We want you to give us a clearer picture of who you are and what you have done. Help us to embrace the true Christ, not the one of pop media, not the one of secular culture. Help us to see you for who you are really and truly are the living word of God. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let me mess that up. Help me to not get in the way of what you would say to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the beginning. That's how John starts. He doesn't start with an angelic visitor to, uh, to a young girl. He doesn't start with a host of angels uh, presenting themselves to a group of shepherds out in the field. He doesn't start in a, in a stable in Bethlehem. John begins his gospel message much further back than that. He begins in the beginning. He starts at that point in time in which time and space first began, where everything that we see everything that we hear, everything that we taste, everything that we can touch, everything that we smell. He starts at that point in history where history began, that point where nothing, that point where nothing became something. He points us right back to that point in history when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I've heard Ravi Zacharias say on many occasions that those first words of Genesis tell us far more than most of us realize. He tells of the story of the Apollo 8 space mission from Christmas Day in 1968. Now, I wasn't there. I wasn't around in 68. Some of you might remember that. Uh, but but the, as, as the story goes, the, the, the astronauts on that, on that journey, they, they crossed around and behind the dark side of the moon. It's this area that, that seemed totally unreachable prior to. They've gone around the dark side of the moon, and as they begin to come back around the other side, they see for the first time over the horizon of the moon, imagine that, they see for the first time this vision of earth that had never been seen before. They were the first human beings to see this view of the earth sitting there, illuminated by the brightness of the sun, contrasting against the darkness of the void that is space behind it. And as most of the world tuned in on radios on that day, on Christmas Day, 1968, they, 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 of course, planned something to say. Neil Armstrong's, that was one giant 
step or whatever for mankind wasn't creative. That was plotted way before they ever got in the ship. And so they had something planned. This group of astronauts had something planned on that day too. And instead of quoting Einstein, instead of pointing to any of the great thinkers of our time, the astronaut read these words, in the beginning, God. And billions of people across the face of the earth heard that as the testimony from space. In the beginning, God. Robbie calls it the invasive and inescapable sense of the infinite and the eternal. I love that. John starts with those same words, in the beginning. And what he tells us in this prologue is that when the beginning happened, when that moment happened, something was already there. Something was already there. When he says, in the beginning was the word, he's actually answering one of the great questions that every single human being you will ever meet will eventually ask. Every single human being will eventually ask, how did it all start? How did all of this come into being? Mark Johnson says, perhaps the most important question we can ask ourselves in life is, who am I, where have I come from, and where am I going? You see, it's an identity question. And we all wrestle with this on some level. On some level, we all ask these things because you probably don't doubt that you exist. You got up this morning, you put on your clothes, you probably ate breakfast, it's Easter, so you might have taken some pictures out in front of some flowers. I mean, that's kind of what we do here. You got to add those for the family album, right? You take, you put on, maybe you had a new dress this morning because, it, again, why, there's always a good reason to buy a new dress in my family, evidently. Um, and so this is just how we, how we do things. We, we, we've hit up the, the, well, whatever the store is you go to and you've bought the new dress to look pretty because it's Easter. It's Easter. So maybe you recognize that we were meeting in a different place this morning. Some of you, this is not a different place. It's the first time you've ever been with us. But for some of us, this was very different. And so you maybe even felt some angst, some anxiety over the fact I'm going into a new place that I don't know. What's the parking going to be like? Is the air conditioning going to work? We honestly didn't know that question or didn't know the answer to that question. If it's uncomfortable in here, I'm sorry. Give us like a month. We'll figure out what the temperature is supposed to be. You, you did not, though, at any point think, you know what, I don't know if I exist. None of us doubted that. You don't doubt that this is real. You don't doubt that you exist. And so eventually you will ask, how did all of this start? And John gives us the answer. He says there in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, John answers that origin question that we that we all ask right here in this first verse, telling us that before everything was, before everything that you see was, there was something. And more specifically, he says that there was someone. And that someone, that's the one that we're here to worship today. And there are three things that we're going to focus on from this passage. Just these five verses, three things that we're going to focus on here. We're going to see that this word is eternal. We're going to see that this word is powerful. And we are going to see that this word is victorious that this word is triumphant. The eternal nature of the word has already been stated. I've, I've said that he was there in the beginning. He was there before it, was, before it all started. We might call this the pre-existence of the word. Before the heavens and the earth were created, the word was there. Before there was anything, there was the word. And we see that the word was not alone. We're told that the word was with God. The way that translates, it, it literally means that the word was face-to-face with God, that he was toward God. It's this idea that John is trying to convey of this deeply intimate relationship, not just of a, of a close talking person who's there, but someone who you are in total agreement with, you are totally in line with, 
that you see them face to face and you know them fully. That's the idea here. It's a relationship that Jesus is never going to forget. When we get to John 17, eventually you're going to see in his high priestly prayer, he says that he asked that God would glorify him with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There's a consistency to Jesus. He's not just making this up as he goes along. He's saying, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world existed. You see, the word was with God and beyond this most intimate relationship between the word and God, we're told that the word was God. The word was God. R.C. Sproul makes a statement that this sentence more than any other passage in scripture is foundational for the church's confession of the doctrine of the Trinity, the belief that God is one in three Persons, here is a major difference between Orthodox Christian faith and all of the other faiths that you will see on the planet. Jesus is not a God. He's not a type of God. He is not like God. The Bible tells us very specifically that he is God. So the next time some nice person wants to knock on your door and have a conversation with you about the nature and character of God, you just turn to John 1 and go, see? And if they say, well, that's a wrong translation, they're reading the wrong Greek, I promise you. I have spent countless hours this week trying to make sure that what I'm saying to you is truthful, and that is true. The word says that the word was God. Here is a major difference for us. The Bible makes it clear that that Jesus is God. And so here in this echo of Genesis 1, God is opening the curtain for us just a little bit, just a little bit so that we can have a greater picture of how everything came to be. You see, a word serves two distinct purposes. A word is not just a, a singular thing. A word serves two distinct purposes. The first purpose is to express the inner thoughts of a man. A word serves to express what is inside of us. I speak to you what is in my mind, and you speak to those around you what is in your mind. Our words reflect that. that that's, that's one of the reasons we need to closely guard what we put into our minds. If you fill your mind with the language of the world, you will sound, you will speak the language of the world. If you fill your mind with the desires of the world, your desires will reflect the desires of the world. In this case, the word is the expression of the creator of the universe. The eternal word expresses the inner mind of God, even if there was nobody there to hear it. And that leads to the second purpose that the word serves. The word serves to reveal the thoughts of the speaker to others. It's to reveal these thoughts to others. Like if you've ever expressed yourself in private and then realized that, that somebody was there who you didn't realize was there, maybe you don't talk to yourself, that could just be me. Uh, every once in a while, I do this in my garage especially, uh, there, there, there will be something in the garage that is not the way that it is supposed to be, and I will express myself about that. And, and then every once in a while, uh, somebody comes around the corner and they say, oh, Really? That's how you feel about that. Um, I'm not going to tell you which of the every human being in my family that has happened to, but that says, this is what it means. That, that, see, I can express something with no intention of revealing it to anybody. I see the dual purpose of the word is that the word of, of God is so intentional that it's not just the expression, but it's there to accomplish a purpose, to reveal something about God. It's revealing it. It's making it known. William Hendrickson says, Christ is the word of God in both respects. He expresses or reflects the mind of God. He also reveals God to man. You see, Jesus is both expression and revelation. He is both 
and. And that's not because the word was near God, not just because he was with God, but that's because the word is God. It's because he is God. He is the uncaused cause. He is the source of all things. That's why the author of Hebrews would say he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word was God. The word is eternal. And that brings us to the next point, that the word is powerful. Look back at verse 3 with me real quick. In verse 3, we're told that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, okay, so not only... Not only does this verse reinforce the eternal nature of the word, it also describes what he has done in history. You see, since all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, we know that before there was anything, he was there. He is the source. He is the cause. Unlike people who build things, unlike people who take raw material and construct a platform or take wood and build a a podium, unlike people who need stuff to make other stuff, Jesus didn't need that. He just speaks it into existence. That's what creation means. Humans are builders, nothing more. Now, you may be creative, and that's a beautiful thing. That reflects some of our, our, our Father's creativity, too. But you are not a creator, you're a builder. God alone is the creator. Jesus alone is the creator. The word alone is the creator. One of our children was recently asking me my thoughts on the, uh, the Big Bang Theory. Um, not the TV show, but the, the actual theory. And, uh, and we're driving down the road. This is just an easy conversation for him, you know, after we've been working here all night. Uh, so, Dad, tell me, what do you think about the Big Bang Theory, please, in this moment? And... Um, and he's learning it in science. They're talking about it. And, and, and that's one of the theories that they're discussing amongst others. And, and I think to his surprise, I said, I don't really have a problem with that theory. I really don't, as long, at least to a point, okay? At least to a point. Um, you see, I don't have a problem with the idea of a Big Bang as long as we understand that the Big Bang requires a Big Banger, all right? It's very important. I don't have a problem with the Big Bang as long as we understand that it takes that it takes some sort of corporeal material to create a bang. You see, nothing never bangs into something. That, that, that doesn't happen. That's, that's, nothing always begets nothing. And that's nature's rule. That's not mine. I didn't have to create that. That's a scientific fact. That's part of the limitations of us here on earth, that nothing always begets nothing. If there is nothing, there will always be nothing. All the something, though, had to come from something because you can't get something from nothing. And so here in John 1, the evangelist identifies the something from which all other things came into existence. He calls it the word and says, without him was not anything made that was made. Without him was not anything made that was made. How did it all start? Jesus started it all. That's what John is telling us. That great answer, that great cosmic question we have, where did all this come from? John says, Jesus gave it to us all. He gave all of it to us. However you want to say that, it all came from him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He spoke it all into existence. He called light out of darkness. He formed the heavens and the earth. He separated the waters from the dry land. Jesus caused the earth to spring forth with life. We're seeing that this time of year. We're seeing the earth come back to life as it bursts into spring. Jesus caused all of that. You see, the word is powerful. 
It's by the word of his power. He created everything. He created every single thing. And then he made man in his image. He made man in his image. And we know, what we know is that into the midst of the everything that was very good that he had made, man brought a problem. You see, we, we brought a, a disease. We brought a sickness. When our first parents ate the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, sin entered into the world and a new darkness began to wage war against the light. And the fracture that resulted was a broken relationship with God and fractured relationships with one another. You see, we know the answer to the question of how it all started. We know that God started it. We know that he created the world. God spoke the universe into existence by the word of his power. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And we know, that the, answer, that we know the answer to the question of what went wrong. You see, everybody sees that we exist, and they say, how did it all start? And we go, well, God started it. And then the next question we ask when we look at it, because we're honest, is we go, what went wrong? Because it's definitely not the way it was meant to be. Nobody looks at the world and goes, yeah, everything's perfect. Everything is very good. So everybody asks, how did it all start? And what went wrong? We know the answer to that too. We know that it was our sin that has broken the world. We know that by our sin, the world was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. That is the description that is used by the Apostle Paul in Romans, that has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And we see this at, at work in our world today. We see it in our lives. Like We see the fractures of sin in the lusts of our hearts. We see it in the desires of our flesh. We see it in the broken relationships. We see it in the prejudices. We see it in these expressions of racism, of sexism, of classism. We see it in, basically any ism points us right to the brokenness of our world. We see it in the violence of the people of the world, in the violence of nature itself. We see it in the groaning that we feel, the aching when, that we feel when we lose someone that we love. We see it in the darkness of our own hearts when we lie, when we hate, when we steal, when, when in pride we look down on others around us. The world screams to us that it is broken, that something has gone wrong. And, and so the next cry of our hearts has got to be, then who's going to fix it? We know how it all started. We know that everything is wrong. So the next cry must be, who is going to fix it? And so look back at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Of the word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Dar dar darkness here is referring to... Uh, to fallen mankind. It's the mind of man. It's the, it's the heart of man. It's the soul of man that has been darkened by sin and unbelief. It's those who would even suppress the truth, not just those who are ignorant of it, but those who would actively work against the truth. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so then he says, we are without excuse. You see, the darkness is not always ignorant of the light. The darkness tries to suppress it. The darkness tries to silence the word. The natural drift of, of man is... is 
is not towards the light, it's toward the darkness. The natural drift of the world, the lane that we tend to cruise over into is not the one of holiness, but it's one of sin. That's where my heart naturally leads me. It leads me to my own comfort. It leads me to my own, my own stability in this world. It leads me to guard myself for me, not for others. It doesn't lead to self-sacrifice. It doesn't lead, lead to, to giving freely. It leads to my own selfishness. Another translation of this word for overcome is to say that the darkness has not, over, has not understood it. It has not comprehended or apprehended the light. The darkness has not grasped it. You see, the world is blind, deaf, and dumb because it loves the darkness. It's all it's ever known. It's all it's ever known. And so now we look and we realize that it is not within our power to fix what is wrong in the world. So we look to another. We look to another. We look for one who will overcome. We look to the true light who overcomes and and can be understood, that can be grasped. We look for the one to fix it. And what we understand as God's people is that the true light, the gladdening light, the illuminating light is the word, that it is the Christ. And on this Sunday, we're perhaps especially reminded of the truth that the darkness sought to kill the word. The darkness arrested the word under the cover of darkness. The darkness interrogated the word. The darkness beat the word to within an inch of the word's life. The darkness ripped the beard out of the face of the word. The darkness crowned it with thorns. The darkness paraded the word through the streets and up a hill. The darkness took out nails and drew them and drew them through his hands. Hung him on a cross. The darkness mocked him. The darkness cast lots for his clothing as the word hung naked and exposed in humiliation and presumed defeat. The darkness drove a spear through his sides, spilling blood and water on the ground. The darkness sealed up the tomb. The darkness silenced the light, hiding it. And if we're willing to be honest, and I don't know if this is true of you, I hope it is. If you're willing to be honest with yourself, we know that the darkness is not ambiguous. Like it's not just darkness in some sort of abstract reality. If we know our own hearts at all, we know that we are that we are the darkness because we know that it was our sin that put him there. It was our debt that we owe for our offense against our holy God that put the one who created all things onto a cross of suffering and death. As the hymn says, it was my sin that held him there. It was my guilt. It was my shame. It was my sin that required justice. It was my offense against a holy God that earned me the death that I deserve. And Jesus, the word, the light, he he paid my debt on that cross. And the darkness surely thought it had won, but but we know more. We know more. We know that something would happen on the first day of the week. We know that the darkness of the grave, in the darkness of that tomb, something happened. On that first Easter morning, a war on death was waged as Jesus, as, as he took a breath, as what was dead became alive. Death was, 
shattered then by his life. He took in that breath, and, and the word that had been silenced would now speak a new message. He would speak a new message of life. He would speak a message of hope, and Jesus rose from the dead, and we see that the word now is victorious, that the darkness has not overcome it. And now everything that was made, everything that causes us to say, what has gone wrong here, is being made new again. And so we walk in the light of that today. We sit here in, in the light of that today, that the, line, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We sit here knowing that in spite of our sin, in spite of my attraction to the darkness, light has broken through and we, and, and by we, I mean you and I, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in the living word, are redeemed and made new. This is what Paul reminded the early church. He told them at one time, you were darkness. That's who you were. But now you are light in the Lord. And so since we know that the word is eternal, I can trust. I can trust him without understanding everything about him. I read this week that for the finite to understand the infinite is an eternal impossibility. You see, our minds cannot begin to comprehend eternity any more than we could lay in our yard tonight and look up the sky and actually number all of the stars. But we can trust in the one who created the stars themselves. Since the word is powerful, I can trust, that to, I can trust him to accomplish his plan and his purpose in my life. He, if he can make everything from nothing, if he can sustain everything that we see, if he can continue keeping this earth spinning at the right speed, tilted at the right degree, rolling around the sun at the right speed and the right distance so that we don't burst into flames, if he can do that, surely he can take care of me. Surely he can hold on to me too. You see, even in my weakness, I can know that his grip is far more stronger than mine. And since the word is victorious, I can trust that even though in this world there will be tribulation, there will be times of trial, there will be times of suffering, there will be times of suffer, I can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. You see, the enemy has been conquered. Death has been defeated. And we are now Easter people living in a Good Friday world. I don't know who said that the first time. That's a brilliant line. You're an Easter person living in a Good Friday world. That's the glory of the gospel. It's that in Christ, I am free to live as a child of the living God. I can be saved from my sin because it has been paid for at the cross. And I can look forward and hope because my Savior cannot be found in some tomb. There is not a huge obelisk marking his spot. And I can look forward and hope because he is going to return. The glory of the gospel is that you and I can be called sons and daughters of God because the darkness cannot overcome the light. It's that in the beginning was the word and he still upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's that the word is eternal. It's that the word is powerful. And not just today, but every single day, every single day, the word is victorious. You see, our God is triumphant. That's the family you have an invitation to be a part of. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you. I don't know how we could do anything else, honestly. Um, We are Easter people. We are those who were darkness, but now are light in you. God, I pray that you'd help us to live like that. Help me to leave this place knowing that you have got this. It is not up to me to fix everything. It is not up to me to play Holy Spirit or to play God, even in my own life. But you have got this. That you have loved the unlovable, that you have cleaned what was filthy, that you have made pure those who have sinned against you. How could we do anything but say thank you? And how could we do anything but praise and glorify you? Lord, be glorified in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.